What a pleasure to be back to Bethel. If you take your Bibles, please, as I uh, open with a, a few comments. Psalm 55, God's called my family and I to church plant in Toronto. <laughs> or is it Toronto, as in toe on your foot? Um, we've been there five years. Uh, the Lord allowed us to serve as missionaries with BIMI out in uh, Nepal, Kathmandu, Nepal, for seven years before the Lord moved us here. I've been blessed with uh, dual citizenship. My dad was born in New Brunswick, and uh, I didn't take advantage of my Canadian citizenship until the Lord moved us here to church plant, and i um, very thankful for our calling um, to the city. Jesus had a heart for the city. Remember, he wept over Jerusalem, and, uh, and many of us uh, will weep over the maple leaves. Oh, you guys have already turned me off. Go Leafs, go. Yeah, go Leafs, there it is. Which I'm for them, but they've broken my heart. So I try to protect my heart a little bit. So every time the Leafs win, pray for Toronto. Every time they lose, pray for Toronto. Same with the Raptors and the Jays and the rest of the teams, right? Every time the, the, the Toronto comes up in your mind, the teams or the, the name or the sign or the hatred or the love or whatever it may be, Use that to do as Jesus did and, and pray for the city. Uh, the city is a place where many, 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 many immigrants, that's where they initially will land. And many times God has uh, brand new immigrants who will come into our church. And typically they'll stay there for about three months or so. Some of them will make Toronto their home for several years, sometimes permanently, but sometimes they'll just be there for just a few months. And we just have a few months to reach them with the gospel. In some cases, these are countries where it would be very difficult for a foreign missionary to go. Uh, and in some cases, it would be quite expensive to live in these particular countries. In many cases, we've had uh, people come who have been reached by the, through the efforts of foreign missions. And they, they, they immigrate to Canada, and they are saved, they're baptized, and they're looking for a, uh, a Bible-preaching church in order to come and participate. And, and to serve the Lord and raise their kids. And so it is, it is a privilege to serve the Lord in the city. And with all the silliness that goes on in Toronto, there are people there who are hungry for the truth. And that's who we're looking for. We're looking for the people that are hungry for the truth. We're going to take our Bibles now and go to Psalm 55. I could take the next, oh, 30, 40 minutes and just talk about what God has been doing in our church, but we need to hear from the Lord through his word. Um, if you're so inclined, you could uh, follow us on Facebook and see all the different um, uh, updates that we have and the immediate prayer requests that we share, as well as the uh, printed prayer letters that I know that you get and we mail here. We thank you very much for your, your faithful support, your prayer support, and just making yourselves available for encouragement, right, along the way. Very thankful for that. Psalm 55 and verse number one, give ear to my prayer, O God. And hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. 
I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Now why here in the Psalm of David is he pouring out his heart to the Lord? We can see here right away it's a broken heart. He's mourning. Mourning comes after a death, typically. His heart is heavy. He's mourning. He's begging God to listen to him. Give ear to my prayer. Hide not thyself from my supplication. What is it? Why is there great mourning going on in David's life? We find the reason in verse 3. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. I'd like to preach for a few moments on that thought, the voice of the enemy. Victory over the voice of the enemy. David, why are you mourning? Why are you in a place of heartbreak? Why are you in a place of of pain? Why are you in a place of feeling overwhelmed? Because of the voice of the enemy. Let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll get into the message. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to preach to this great church. I pray, Father, that you would use this truth to help us to discern the voices that we're listening to. Give me wisdom and help me to use my time wisely. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Because of the voice of the enemy, now if we're going to take it from the context and just the passage, we're going to see and it will identify who this enemy is if we go over to verse number 11 and 12. Wickedness is in the midst thereof, deceit and guile depart not from her streets. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. Notice that he's speaking as a warrior here. He's saying, if it was my enemy, I could have dealt with it. So he's right away, we're saying the voice of the enemy was not really what we would typically look at as an enemy. It wasn't the Philistine voice in David's case that we're seeing is the voice of the enemy. And it identifies the voice here in just a moment. In verse number 13, it says, But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. Now, basically, this chapter is split into two different pieces. It's talking about the enemy and what that's doing to David And then we'll get into this in just a moment, and this is how we'll finish the sermon in verse 16. And he says, as for me, I will call upon God. We'll get into the as for me in just a moment. But first, we're just going to take a moment, and we're just going to kind of dig into the voice of the enemy. Can we just all agree that we live in a day and age where there's a lot of voices out there? I dare say that in the history of the world, there are we live in a day and age where there are more voices available to listen to and to ingest into our own spirit and that voice will become our own voice or the voice that we will listen to. Most of us are familiar with the GPS unit. 
Sometimes we may use a cell phone or something like that. If you're old school and say, Tirana, maybe you use the, the GPS that you, you know, the Garmin or the, uh, what's the other one? Tom Tom, the Tom Tom, right? The big fight over the Garmin and the Tom Tom crowd. Which one's better? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, if maybe for you it's the Apple Maps versus the Google Maps. And you say, I still don't know what that is. Okay, maybe it's the Rand McNally map. There we go. That's the crowd I'm talking to. The Rand McNally. Or maybe this is you. You take a left down at the stump that looks like a bear. Okay. You've got to have a map. And for every human being, we listen to an internal dialogue. There's some voice in our head. Not in a spooky way, but just kind of our own psyche. This is, but we, we've got to understand, we borrow voices and instructions from other people. Now, the voice that we're intended to use is the voice of God himself, the voice of the Holy Spirit. The voice of scripture, that's the voice we're supposed to listen to, to guide us along our way. But if we're not careful, the voice of the enemy of our soul will become the voice that we listen to most often. In 2 Samuel chapter number 15, 2 Samuel 15, Absalom is David's son. And he is taking over the kingdom. He stole the hearts of the children of Israel. He spoke to everyone behind the king's back. Convinced them that he was the guy. He, he should be their king. He led a rebellion against his dad. His dad, instead of fighting his own son, left Jerusalem Absalom, his son, recruited David's counselor. The man that David, King David, listened to for most of his reign. We find that man's name in verse number 12, 2 Samuel 15 and verse 12. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong for the people increased continually with Absalom. And we could read many, many more verses, but for the sake of time, we're not going to do that. This friend that used to walk with David to the house of God and worship with him and pray with him and be his counselor, iron sharpeneth iron, isn't that what the Bible says? So the man, uh, a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. This was the counselor that had switched sides. And it wasn't just the words of Ahithophel. It was the fact that these words and actions of Ahithophel were amplified by the enemy of David's soul. If we can take our Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. In verse number 10, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able 
may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now question, is that only true in New Testament times? Or was that true also in Old Testament times? Well, we could talk to uh, Adam and Eve and we would say, who is the enemy of your soul? In the garden that day when you were tempted, they would easily say, the enemy of our soul. What we wrestled with on that day was not flesh and blood, but it was Satan himself. Is that true? Are we on the same page so far? We good? Let's complete verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all to stand, and it continues on there with the armor of God. David was not wrestling against Ahithophel, his counselor, nor was he truly wrestling with Absalom, his son, whose heart was turned away from him. This voice of the enemy, and by the way, let's take a moment, go back to Psalm 55 if you would. How do we know that that voice that we're hearing in our head, that voice that we're hearing in the deepest part of us, How do we know that's not just a human voice, but a spiritual voice, the voice of Satan or the voice of one of his demons that are tempting us into thinking a particular way? Notice the effect that had this deep effect on King David. This entire psalm is about the the impact of the voice of the enemy. We're back in Psalm 55 and verse 4. My heart is sore pained within me. And the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me. And horror hath overwhelmed me. You can't tell me that anything that Ahithophel said with his human voice could have that kind of an effect on this man. This man was a warrior. Are we okay? Are we all together? Are we good? The description of the impact of this voice is surprising. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. Verse 6, look at what now, what, what is going on in the inside of him, this voice that he's wrestling with. Before he gets to the last half of the chapter where he begins to walk in faith and walk in victory against this voice, Notice what he wants to do. Notice what the voice is trying to get him to do. Look at verse 6. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. Then would I fly away and be at rest. He just wants to, he just wants to get away. It is astonishing what human beings will do in order to just get away. Every addictive substance in some way is taken to just make the voices stop. Let's get a little bit more detail into this. Ahithophel changed places because of Absalom the son 
But really, why was Absalom really coming at David and trying to overthrow the kingdom? Well, if we trace it back, and you guys know your Bibles well enough on a Sunday night crowd, we can trace this back to David's own failure with Bathsheba. Is that true? Is that true? Are we good? We need to understand that whenever we fail God, the failure is only the beginning of the fight. Oftentimes people wrestle with failures that they've committed years before. They've gotten forgiveness for what they've done. They've, they've, they've had a Psalm 51 moment where they have begged God for forgiveness and they've been cleansed. But there's something that remains that we have got to learn how to deal with as Christians. And there are so many Christians that live in defeat. They live in daily defeat. And maybe they question whether or not they've been forgiven. Maybe it's hard to tell, but theologically we know they've been forgiven and we try to tell ourselves we've been forgiven and we, and we sing victory in Jesus, but deep inside we really struggle with actually making that something that is true of us and in the deepest part of us. And though the sin against God was committed years ago, the voice of the enemy will track us down if it finds a hold. We've got to know what to do with that voice when we have a failure. We've got to know what to do with that voice when someone we love has had a failure. Absalom should have known what to do. Ahithophel should have known. Is there anything more devastating than having someone you look up to? Ahithophel was the counselor, but... David was his king. And more than that, David was one who God used to write so many of the Psalms that they would go to the house of God together and sing this newly written praise. Holy Spirit written praise from David the prophet. This was a special relationship. This was a special time in the history of Israel. But something happened. Something broke. And the devil is never content for you to just do the sin. He is the very best at follow-up of anybody in this world. He wants to take that mistake and make it last for generations. We have got to get victory over the voice of the enemy, my friends. Just want to fly away. I just want to quit. There are too many people that are quitting. There are too many Christians that are flying away. Can I just say this in the kindest way I know how? There are too many people of retirement age that are retiring on God. Oh, pastor, you shouldn't have said that. My family, my, my parents are retirement age. We, the Bible teaches very clearly that we need those of retirement age to show and to teach the younger. I need to see somebody who's been married for 30 and 40 and 50 years to come and take me under their wing and occasionally say, Brother, this is how we made it 
this far. Fly away. Not going to talk politics, but man, is that not a rabbit hole? Let's just fly away. Can be done the way it used to be done. God never intended it to be done the way it used to be done. Never. He intends to show himself anew and afresh to every generation. I'm glad there's one amen. And by the way, a verbal amen is not necessary. I get that. Thank God for those who encourage. Thank God for those who encourage. Thank thank God for those Barnabases that come up to Brother Saul and say, Hey, I know about the failures of your past, but you've been saved, and I'm willing to take a chance on you, my friend. He could have been his next victim. We'll quickly go over to Nehemiah. If we follow follow this truth throughout Scripture, we can always see, okay, what is the enemy doing and what is he saying? We could go to Matthew chapter number 4 and look where Jesus Christ was tempted by Satan. Right? He he didn't didn't wrestle with flesh and blood. He wrestled with Satan himself. We can see that Satan desired to replace the voice of the Holy Spirit within the God-man Jesus Christ. And if he's willing to do it to Jesus Christ, my goodness, is he not willing to try it on us? Nehemiah is a man who came and was building the wall after a failure, by the way. 70 years of captivity. Here he is, he's coming. The voice of the enemy will be there like David when there's a failure. There will also be the voice of the enemy when we desire to, to build anything for God. Build a life, build a family, build a relationship, build a church, build a Sunday school class, build a ministry, whatever it is. If you are coming to God and saying, I will build the wall, whatever that wall may be, you can bet the voice of the enemy will be right there. We need to know the voice of the, listen, We need to know that the voice, living with the voice of the enemy is not an option. It is not an option. If you're ever going to do anything for the Lord, and we've all seen it a hundred times, somebody comes up and they get saved, and what's what's the first step of obedience? Baptism. And then what happens? You explain it to baptism, and they're like, I'm going to do it. And then what happens? Their car breaks down. Is that true? Something will happen. Oh, I, I don't know. And they'll start slogging through, and it's like, no, no, you gotta keep praying, you gotta keep encouraging them, you gotta kind of honestly, that's really that's really the, the job of the soul winner as soon as they lead that for, that person to Christ, is immediately tell them, here's assurance of salvation. Why would we have to do that? Because we know the voice of the enemy is gonna come right back and tell them, You just messed up, you're not really saved. Is that true? Absolutely. But that it's it's every step of the way, my friends. It's every step of the way. Nehemiah is trying to build something for God. We'll just pick out a few here. Chapter number two, Nehemiah chapter number two. Verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. Praise God as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Man, he has a team. 
He's building a team. God's good hand is upon him. He's got all the building materials to build this great wall for the Lord. Look at verse 19. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn. How do you know it's the voice of the enemy? One, it creates great fear. It makes you want to run away like David. Number two, it will laugh and belittle what you're trying to do. It'll say, this is the silliest thing. Why are you trying? You're going to what? <laughs> That's good. You'll share your decision on, it, on, on social media. God help us all when we do that. Because some so-called friend will say something silly. And it's not just what they said. There is a spirit of opposition that comes along with those words that drives deep into our heart. And it's the spirit of laughter and mockery. You are wasting your life. You're doing what? By the way, this is before he even laid one brick. Flip over to chapter 4. Here's a big one, and we could carry this all the way through the book. We're not going to do that, and I'll be respectful of your time and not go too long tonight. Nehemiah 4. They're getting into all the repairs, and, and everything is moving along very well. The first mockery and laughter, it didn't work. Verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall. Here he goes. Now he's, now he's just angry. He was wroth. First he laughs and mocks. That didn't work. Now he's angry. Took great indignation. Now it's angry mocking and mock the Jews. See that? First it's just a joke. Ah, you're just a joke. Now it's, it's, it's angry and it's mocking. What does he say? Verse 2. And he spake before his brethren. Oh, he's, he's, he's doing a little stand-up comedy, for his, comedy for, his, for his friends here. That's what he's doing. Verse 2. He spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? <laughs> Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish? which are burned, laughing at the materials they had available. But God, hey, God only needs what is in your hand. He only needs the sling that David actually had. He didn't need Saul's armor. He didn't need it. Moses, what's in your hand? A staff. Oh yeah, that's all I need. That's all I need. That's all I need. Little boy trying to feed, five, feed the 5,000. What do you actually have? Five loaves, two small fishes. That's all I need. What does the voice of the enemy do? It mocks what you have. Why? So you don't give it to God. He's trying to destroy your faith. He's trying to destroy your faith. Now his buddy jumps in, verse 3. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him and said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. 
Look at what they've done. So, by the way, it's the voice of the enemy that tells us that anything that we've done for God is flimsy and won't last. Flimsy. It's not even finished. Look at it. It's just a fox could knock over that wall. Again, a wall of a city was meant to repel enemy forces. And if a fox could knock it down, that would seem like a silly waste of time. I mean, that's not even a wall for a garden, much less for a city. He's mocking them. Flimsy. The voice of the enemy is desperately trying to get us to stop walking by faith. Stop giving what's in your hand to the Lord. Stop giving your talents for God. Stop giving your time to the Lord. Stop witnessing. Stop the buses. Stop the online ministry. Stop all this singing. Stop the singing. He hates it. And how does he do it? Through fear, through mockery, belittling what we're doing. We could, we could follow Sanballat throughout the book of Nehemiah and see he's got some other schemes, but those are his basic ones. He kind of gets a little sneaky and just tries to call Nehemiah off the wall. Hey, let's have a meeting. Oh, you mean and stop what I'm doing for God? I'm busy. That's what he said. By the way, hey, friends, he tried to get him to come off the wall just by inviting him to a meeting seven times. He wouldn't come off the wall. Then he wrote this big open letter, and it was completely false. They're trying to build this wall, and they're trying to rebel against the king. Try to type out a big Facebook post. Amen. Maybe even, maybe even sent it to the local news. Well, we, we, we're really nice people. I just, I just don't know why they would ever say something like that. Because you're doing something for the Lord, that's why. Satan hates it when we try to do something for God. All right, Psalm 55 and we're done. Pick out a few verses here and we'll be finished. As for me, verse 16. <clears throat> Notice it begins with this and then verse number 16 says the same thing. Verse 1, give ear to my prayer, O God. Verse 16 says, as for me, I will call upon God. Listen, do not let the voice of the enemy stop your voice from calling on God. If we were to take the time to go back to Ephesians chapter number six, we get through armoring up and it goes through all the armor and the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and all that. And then it was finally, and then it finally gets to the very end and it says, talks about prayer. He does not want us to go. He wants us to listen to his voice and say, it's not even worth doing or trying. Don't even pray about it because this is the truth of the matter. It's flimsy, it's fearful, it's silly, and it's a waste of time. If we're ever going to get victory over the voice of the enemy, the first thing is we have got to pray. Oh, pastor, give us something deeper than that. Unfortunately, that's often how we think. We often think, oh, come on. No, we've got to, we've got to pray and do exactly what David did here. 
God, this is what is going on in my heart about what that person said. You know why we don't do that? Because we believe the voice of the enemy. We think he's right. It is flimsy. It is fearful. I just run away. We're either walking in the power of the Holy Spirit or we're walking in our own power. A Christian who's walking in their own power will not go and pray. Because we're listening to the voice of the enemy and we think, hmm, I think maybe some of that's true. I think maybe it is flimsy. I think maybe I do look silly. As for me, I will call upon God. Oh my goodness. And the Lord shall save me. The Lord shall save me. Verse 17, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. And he shall hear my voice. When we hear the voice of the enemy, it's got to be a trigger and a reminder that God will, the voice of the enemy must not stop our voice. The voice of the enemy must not stop our voice of prayer. Verse 18, we can see praise, remembering what God has done for us. Prayer, praise. Verse 18, he hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. God shall hear. Call unto me and I will answer thee. Show thee great mighty things which thou knowest not. God shall hear and afflict them. Even he that abideth of old, Selah, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. Verse 21, the words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Oh my goodness, verse 22, really it comes back to prayer once again. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. You see, because here's, when we hear that voice of the enemy, we go to the Lord in prayer, but there's always something in the back of our mind. And again, that's the voice of the enemy that says, okay, you've gotten the victory today, this time, because you went to the Lord in prayer and you believed on the word of God in the example of Jesus Christ when he was fighting the voice of the enemy in that case. By the way, after 40 days of praying and fasting. But the devil always comes back and says, you've won the battle today because you went to prayer. What about tomorrow? I'll get you tomorrow. I'll get you tomorrow. That sand ballot coming back and forth to Nehemiah. He said no once. We'll come back. We'll be back. We'll ring that doorbell again. We'll be back. It's like, it's like every person who's not a Rogers customer. You guys didn't get that. Man, in Toronto, they are, they are vicious. They know who you are. Amen. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved, but thou, O God, shalt bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in thee. You see this? You see this? You see after prayer? after praise, after coming to the place of trust that God is going to sustain me, it brings, it brings David back up to the place where now 
I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to walk in faith. I will trust in him. And that's what Satan's after. The voice of the devil, the voice of the enemy, victory of the voice of the enemy. Ultimately, what is he after? He's after your faith. He doesn't want you to walk in faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And he knows that. So he will whisper and whisper and whisper and try to get you to live by fear. God's not giving us the spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. He'll try to get you to live uh, thinking that it's flimsy, it's worthless. We've got to go to God in prayer and praise. Everybody bow your heads, please. Close your eyes. Thank you for your kind attention. Victory over the voice of the enemy. Perhaps the Lord may have spoken to you tonight about a particular thing that you have been listening to in your mind, something that's causing you to be fearful, something that is causing you to think that what you have been doing is flimsy and worthless, and what's the point anyway? That's the voice of the enemy, my friend. That is the voice of the enemy. It's the voice of the enemy. He's relentless. We have to make it a habit to pray. By the way, he will, he will try to tell you that your prayers are flimsy and worthless. He doesn't want us to pray. We've got to allow the voice that we listen to, the voice of God, to be fueled by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit. We have to go to him in prayer. We have to praise him. We have to depend upon him to sustain us in the work that he's called us to do.